going to continue in our series this morning on questions. And give me just one second here. There we go. There we go. I am sorry if uh, you cannot read my illegible handwriting. Uh, it's, it's, I remember there was a term I learned in like junior high called hieroglyphics. <laughs> they have paid scientists, I'm assuming, large sums of money to figure out what those symbols meant. And they, some of them they still haven't figured out. That's kind of like what this is. So <laughs> forgive me in advance. Um, if, if you can't read, I do the best I can to scribble in, in a way that's legible. So at uh, any rate, we are so glad that we have the opportunity to look at God's Word, right? I mean, uh, several years ago, I was given a book from, um, they've changed their name, it's now Ethnos 360. Uh, but at any rate, they gave me a, a big book like this, nicely covered, and when you opened it up, it was all blank pages. And they said, this is still the Bible that over a thousand people groups still have. No written word. We have God's word with us, right? What a blessing that is to know that God loves us enough to speak to us and to you know, give us his word so that we can please him in a life and in a relationship with him. Let's take a moment and pray and we'll get into our message for this morning. Lord God, as we come before you once again, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and our lives. Lord, that your word, um, Lord, might touch hearts. And Lord, that whatever comes out of my mouth would be, Lord, what you'd have me to say. So I pray for clarity of thought and speech, Lord, that you would be glorified through all that is said and done. In this message we pray, amen. So, questions. Over the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been looking at different questions that really, as I've said many times, it brings us back to the basics of our walk with Christ. Um, we haven't been going through all kinds of different series, but we've just been coming right back down to the basics of what it means to walk with Jesus every day of our lives. So we've looked like questions like, why did Jesus come to this earth? Why did we put our faith and trust in him if we did? Why, why did we want to be saved? And so last week we talked about what is sin and how does sin affect us? So how does sin affect our relationship with God? And so last week we kind of didn't get into the last part of that question that I really wanted to get into, and that is, what should be my response to sin? Um... And as we look at this, we have to know that sin affects our relationship with God in a great way. Um, so the question is, what should be my response to sin? And for too many people, they don't view sin from a biblically correct perspective. And inherently, because of that, they either don't deal with sin or they deal with their sin in a flippant, carefree attitude. Um, handling sin in this fashion is hazardous to our relationship with God. And I think, honestly, if we're honest with ourselves, and I think most of us know the truth, we, mo- we know far more truth than what we're willing to live every day of our lives. Some of you would agree with that. We know far more than we practice, right? And we need to change that a little bit. Um, Andy Stanley said years ago, he said, most of us live with a certain amount of measurable guilt. He says, because we know there's some things that we should be doing, but we also know that we're never going to do it. So we kind of have a little bit of guilt over that, but not enough guilt to change it. And that's unfortunate. If we're confronted with our sin, we should be willing to do something about that, right? I mean, that's how we have a, a good relationship with God is dealing with our 
areas of sinfulness. But the simplest answer to the question of what should I, what should be my response to sin is simply this. To confess and to repent as soon as you realize that you have sinned. As soon as you realize that you have sinned, there should be a willingness to confess it and to repent of it. And so the important question for all of us is to consider, what is repentance? If God's Word is clear that we should repent of our sin and confess it and get rid of it and deal with it as soon as we realize that it's come into our lives, the question is then, what is repentance? And, and how do I practice repentance in my daily life? Well, I think number number one, I, I'm going to give you three aspects of repentance, and I think all of us will agree as you see it, that this is the definition from various aspects of Scripture of what repentance is. First of all, it's agreeing. It's agreeing. What is it agreeing over? Well, it's agreeing with God concerning my sin in such a way that I confess it immediately. I'm agreeing with God. If God says something that I'm doing is wrong, right, and I'm confronted with it, I should be willing to deal with it immediately because I agree with God that what I'm doing is not right. I need to change. And so as as soon as I realize that what I'm doing is wrong, I agree with God. It is wrong. You know, a lot of people agree on some things, but change nothing. We can sit there and talk about politics all day long, and we might even agree, hey, that this is ridiculous, and that's far-fetched, and that doesn't make sense, And but at the end of the day, we just agree. But if we don't do anything to change it, what good is it? Right? If we see that there's people impoverished and, in, and, and really struggling and having a hardship, and they can't find a job and whatever else, hypothetically, they just have no money and they don't have any food, they're, trying, they're struggling to take care of their children. We agree, it's a problem, but if we don't do anything about it, what good is the, the idea of agreeing, right? We not only agree with God, but we agree with God in such a way that we're willing to do something about it when we find out about it. In other words, we're going our merry way, we're walking this way, and also we're confronted with the idea that something I said, something I did, something I'm thinking is wrong, it's unbiblical, it's against Scripture, I'm confronted with it, but I don't try to just make my way through it, I, I, I deal with it, I'm confronted with it. And to, 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 to repent means that I'm agreeing with God that what I'm doing is wrong and I need to immediately confess it. Number two, repentance is turning. Right? It's turning. So it's a turning from my sin and disobedience to God in obedience. So I'm turning away from sin and disobedience to God and obedience. See, most of the time when we realize that we're in sin, it's basically because we're feeding our flesh, right? We're just kind of doing the things that please self. You know, things that wrap around all, you know, me, myself, and I, the three of us, and we're happy when we're living in our sin. But the idea of repentance is not just agreeing that if God says it's wrong, it's wrong. But it's an idea of I'm going to turn away from my sin and selfishness and disobedience to God and obedience and righteousness. So there's a turning involved. And then number three... There is a grieving. I'll explain that for a minute. It is repentance is grieving in your spirit that you have sinned against God. You say, do I just feel sorry for my sin? No. Sorrow for sin in and of itself is not repentance. There are a lot of people who are sorry, but for the wrong reasons. Let me give you just a couple of verses. Um, the first one, I'm going to go before that. Acts 3.19 says, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So in Acts 13, 3, 19, 
It says to repent, therefore, and be converted. So there is a turning from my lack of faith to a turning to God in faith. Repenting. That I'm agreeing with God that I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. And I'm going to turn from my sin and disobedience to God in obedience. And I'm going to agree the, fact, the very fact that this breaks the heart of God. Let me give you a key verse. Genesis. I should have wrote this page in there, but I didn't. 39.9. Genesis 39.9 is such a key verse in this. How do we view sin? Last week we talked about how sin affects our relationship with God. But what should be our view of sin? Let me just say this once again, as I said in my introduction. Most people don't handle sin in a biblical perspective. They don't view it from a biblical perspective. Therefore, they don't handle sin biblically. Either it's like, oh, no big deal. It's not that big a deal. It's not hurting anyone. You know, no one else knows about it. You know, it's just this is between me and God, and God understands me. I mean, He knows me. Yes, He does. And because of it, it breaks His heart. Remember Psalm sixty-six, eighteen. Remember Psalm, or Proverbs twenty-eight, thirteen. You know, if I regard iniquity in my heart, Lord, not hear me. He who covers his sin will not prosper. Sin greatly affects our relationship with God. But how should we view sin in itself? I mean, what if nobody else will find out about it? What if my wife never found out about it, guys, if you're looking at that stuff? What if no one of your kids realize that you're a thief and you steal stuff from work? What if none of your relatives know just how bad an alcoholic you really are? What if nobody else knows? Then it's okay, right? No. We need to get back to where we view sin as God views sin. Genesis 39.9 says this, There is no one greater in this house than I. Joseph was basically saying, look at you know, I have all authority. I mean, the king is away. He's put me in charge. I can basically do whatever I want to do. And no one, does, nobody's going to say anything. I'm the second. And there's no one greater presently in this place than I. Every man can probably say that in your own house. I'm the greatest in this house. I can do whatever I want. I can buy whatever I want. I can view whatever I want. I can say whatever I want. And I'm the greatest of my own house. And here's what Joseph says. Nor, uh, there's no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, but because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? What if we viewed everything that we were about to do in the, in, from the perspective of how is this going to affect my relationship with God if I go there? If I do this? If I buy that? If I view this? If I viewed everything from the perspective of how is it going to affect my relationship with God, what would be different in our lives? Let's be honest about that. But the problem is, we don't, in today's culture, in today's society, we don't view sin as God views sin. We need to get back to where Joseph did. He goes, I cannot do that. Even though no one else is greater than I, even though no one else may find out, I cannot do this great wickedness and sin against my God. And we're going to come back to the, the idea of who we're sinning against in just a couple of minutes. But repentance is agreeing with God concerning my sin in such a way that I will immediately confess it. I have the same opinion of my sin that God has of my sin. It's a turning away from sin and disobedience and turning to God and obedience. And it's a grieving in my spirit that I did this thing against a holy God who is righteous and has called me to be holy and righteous. I can't do this. And to remember, to have that view of sin that Joseph had. I don't know about you, but that's hard because this world does not cater to being righteous. Anybody agree? I mean, everything that's going on in this world caters to feeding your flesh. Whatever makes you happy. 
How about number one? I mean, whatever brings me joy and me satisfaction and makes me, you know, this whole world caters to that. And we have to stand. I made a statement the other day in men's Bible study, and I think it's true. The more like the world we live, the easier it becomes to be a Christian. Let me say that again. The more like the world we live, the easier it is to be a Christian. And I like what Spurgeon said in regard to that. Spurgeon said, living the Christian life is not easy. It's impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit. Folks, the only way that we will have a correct perspective of repentance and sin and confession is with the help of the Holy Spirit every day in our lives. God's Word says, apart from me, you can do what? Some things? Most things? Nothing. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. And apart from that, you will grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, there are three verses I want to look at real quickly. Ezekiel 14, verse 6 says this, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, Repent, turn away from your idols, and turn your faces away from all abominations. So once again, we see the idea. There is a turning. And so as the, as the prophet said to him, Listen, therefore you need to repent. Turn away from your idols. See, it's not just enough to agree. Well, I probably shouldn't be having these thoughts. I probably shouldn't be looking at these websites on the internet. I probably shouldn't be talking this way. If all we do is agree, nothing changes. The reality is, we not only need to agree, but then we turn from our sinfulness. And that's what the prophet was reminding them. The the nation of Israel, the house of Israel, repent and turn from your idols. Don't just acknowledge that they're bad. Turn from them. Put them in your rear view and run from them. And then he says in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 30, he says, Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, says the Lord. Repent and turn from all your transgressions. So he says, not only just turn from your idolatry, turn from every form of sin. See, the word transgression, as we learned last week, is just a general term regarding all sin. He says, if there's sin in your life, turn from it. Don't let it bring you to a place of ruin. You need to get it in your rear view and don't, don't associate it with it anymore. Run from it. Be like Joseph where he says, I don't care. I'll leave my coat behind. The bottom line is I'm going to stand for what's right and let the chips fall wherever they fall. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, it says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, Plead for the widow. So as he's calling the nation of Israel here, he says the bottom line is you need to wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil you're doing before my eyes. Cease to do evil. So those are all areas of acknowledgement. I agree with God that these things should not be. I'm reminded that they should not be. These things need to be put away. But then he says what? Verse 17. Learn to do good. Some of us need to learn and relearn some things in our lives so that we can walk in fellowship with God. The reality is we need to be learning. And when you cease to learn, you cease to grow, right? We learn that in grade school from our teachers. All the teachers always remind us, when you stop learning, you stop growing. We need to continue to learn, continue to grow. Why? So we can walk in fellowship and and please our Heavenly Father in our daily walk. 
Well, a couple more verses here that talk about this. In Jeremiah chapter 26, verse 3, he says this. Perhaps everyone will listen. Oh, you know what? Let me go back one second. In all this, the prophet called out Israel in several passages and told them to repent and turn away from their idolatry. To repent and turn from their transgressions. To repent and learn to do what's right. But we learn from Isaiah chapter 18, verse 30, they refused. And what happens when you refuse? You forfeit the blessing and the hand of God in your life. I don't know about you, but I want God's blessing. I want God's hand of protection, provision on my life because I'm walking in fellowship with Him. But when we choose, and let me say it is a choice, and you've heard me say this 10,000 times from Romans chapter 8, verse 5 and following, they that mind the things of the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. They that mind the things of the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. It is a choice how we choose to live every day. They chose to refuse the words that were told them. And they forfeited the blessing of God. In Jeremiah chapter 26, verse 3, it says, Perhaps everyone will listen and turn from his, from his evil way, that I may relent concerning the calamity which I purpose to bring on them because of the evil of their doings. You see, sin has consequences. All of our choices to do wrong have consequences. And he says, please, listen and turn. There is the idea of agreeing and turning in our sinfulness. And in Jeremiah chapter 36, verse 3, it says, It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the adversities which I purpose to bring upon them, that everyone may turn from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Here's the idea. God is telling them up front, you have a choice. You can choose to repent, but if you choose not to repent, and choose not to listen, and choose not to turn, boy, both of these verses, both Jeremiah 26.3 and 36.3, both says, I will purpose to bring on them because of the evil of their doing. He says, you will forfeit my blessing and receive my wrath. Wow. Isn't it amazing how often that some of us as parents, maybe not all of us, but some of you have threatened your kids. Clean your room or I'm going to drown you. And most kids are like, yeah, whatever. I'm still going to do whatever I want. And when I was a kid, I didn't want drowning. I did not want it. Just give me my legs, man. Just, just, I'll take it so I can still have my freedom, right? But isn't that the choice that so many Christians make too? Okay, so I may get a slap on the wrist. No big deal. I'm still going to live life. I'm still going to have my job. I'm still going to have my money. I'm still going to do whatever it is I want to do to have fun. Okay, so I may not have all the blessings, but hey, I got enough. I'm good. Just give me my licks. I'll move on. Isn't that what our choice is sometimes? Unfortunately, we know we're going to forfeit God's blessing, but eh, we'll take our licks. That's sad. Why don't we get back to having the view of sin that Joseph had? How can I do this great wickedness and sin against my father? So there's an I, there's a, a, a perspective of not as soon as I agree with God and I turn from God and I, agree, and I realize it, how, how it grieves God's heart, it should grieve my heart. 
So I immediately confess it and repent of it. But what is confession? Confession is something to consider when confessing. Well, first of all, it's having the same opinion of sin that God has of sin and denouncing it. Having the same opinion. Do I have the same opinion of my sin that God has of it? Do I? Let's be honest. When things happen in a given day and somebody irritates us and I get immediately angry, is that what God would have us to do? Or do I say, well, God wouldn't do this, so I better not do this. Because I don't want to break fellowship. I don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Do we have the same opinion of sin that God has of sin? You see, in Leviticus chapter 5, verse 5, it says, And it shall be, when he is guilty in any of these matters, that he shall confess that he has sinned in the thing. How many times have we said, Oh Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. Amen. Okay, ladies, when your husband irritates the fire out of you because they did something really, really stupid, and you say, Well, your husband would never do that. I know. Your husband's perfect. I get it. But in that hypothetical situation where they did, where they did something really, really irritating to you. Does a simple, I'm sorry, work? Well, wait a minute. What are you sorry for? See, my wife taught me early on in the first year of marriage that that doesn't qualify. I remember in our first year of marriage, back 27 years ago almost, is that I said, I'm sorry, but she goes, oh, stop right there. And I looked at Donna and I said, what are you talking about? Don't qualify it. Be specific about it. It's not, I'm sorry, but you... No, 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 no. Either you're right or you're wrong. If you're wrong, take ownership of it and be specific about it. So I looked at my wife and said, I'm sorry for yelling. I'm sorry. Whatever it was. He says, and it shall be. When he is guilty of any of these things, that he shall confess that he has sinned in that thing. Be specific in your confession to God. Let me ask you a question. Can you hide anything from God? What was that? No. Psalm 139 says, no matter where you go, God is there. Can you hide anything from the eyes of God? No. Because Hebrews 5 says, all things are naked and open before God with whom we have to do. He knows everything that there is to know about you. He sees everything you're going to do. He knows your thoughts before you think them. Do you think you can hide from God? No. If you did something specific, you need to pray specific and say, God, forgive me because I did this. I repent of it. Be specific in your confession. confession. So, repentance and confession is not. So when you put these two practices together, one must understand that repentance and confession is not merely... First of all, being sorry. It's just not being sorry. There's a lot of people who get sorry, but they're sorry for the wrong reasons. They're sorry they got caught. They're sorry because it hurt your feelings. 
They're sorry because, well, whatever. I mean, I just, I, I'm probably supposed to be sorry. But con- repentance and confession is not just simply being sorry. It's not being ashamed alone. Why? Well, there's a lot of people that feel shame. But once again, shame is wrapped up in a lot of times in pride. I, I, I didn't want anybody to find out about it, but they found out. Oh, I feel so shame. But shame in and of itself doesn't produce change. Right? Shame in and of itself does not produce change. Being sorry in and of itself does not produce change. What's the result of repentance and confession? Should be change. It's not just acknowledging, not just agreeing, it's not just realizing that grieve the heart of God. It's a turning so that I no longer walk in sin, walk contrary to the Holy Spirit. It's a turning so that I walk in fellowship with God in obedience. So it's not just being sorry, because sorrow in itself does not produce change. It's not just being ashamed, because shame in itself does not produce change. Hebrews 12, 16 and 17 says this, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, like Esau, for example, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright, for you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Man, have you ever seen a child get in trouble and they just immediately start crying? I mean, you haven't even spanked them yet, and they're already the tears are flowing, right? You know, some of your kids are like that. You know, like and then you, then you got the other kid. You can beat his hind end, and he doesn't. He ain't gonna cry no matter what. He's not gonna show that. You know, but there are people who will just cry because they think tears are gonna get them out of it. Oh, it's not simply being sorry. It's not simply being shamed because someone found out. Because those things in and of themselves will not produce change. Tears. Esau was sorry that he lost his birthright, but he wasn't repentant. His repentance was false. So what are the results of true repentance and confession? And this is for those of you that needed a verse, there it is. Hebrews 12, 16 and 17. What are the results of true repentance and confession? Well, first of all, it's changed attitudes and deeds. And then secondly, it's changed actions and direction. So here's the thing. If I say that I have confessed and repented of a sin that I've been confronted with, there should be a change in how I live. My attitude changed because now I agree with God that I shouldn't have done it. There's a turning in how I live because how I was living is contrary to the Word of God, contrary to the Holy Spirit living within me, contrary to that which brings pleasure to the Lord. So there's a change attitude in deeds, change attitude in direction. Let's look at David's example just for a moment. And there's two passages of Scripture, we're almost through. In Psalm 32, verses 1, 2, and 5, it says this, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. David says very clearly, 1, 2, and 5. David said very clearly, 
I acknowledge my sinfulness. I acknowledge it. I acknowledge my sin to you. And my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Then he says, Selah. You know what the word Selah means? Just, just take a minute and take a breath and breathe about it. Breathe over it. Take a breath and just, just contemplate that. Think about it. Dwell on it. Just meditate on that just for a moment. David, did he deny? No. He confessed. He says, I acknowledge my sin. Why? Why did he do that? Because he wanted to be restored to a right relationship with God. And that is the purpose of confession and repentance, is to come into a right standing before God. In Psalm 51, this is a powerful set of verses here. David says this in Psalm 51. I shared this with the guys from our Bible study a couple weeks back. Against you, talking to God, and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. (coughs) David is a perfect example of how we need to respond in confession and repentance. You see, once again, David didn't run and hide from it. This, This blows my mind. How could a man who is a murderer and an adulterer and fornicator, be called a man after God's own heart. Does that make sense from man's perspective? No. I mean, sign me up, wife, right? I mean, every wife wants a husband who's a fornicator and, and has caused men to die, right? I mean, that's what I want in my husband. And yet God says, you're a man after my own heart. Why? Because when he was confronted with his sin, he didn't lie about it. He didn't deny it. He repented and confessed it. And he acknowledged what his sin did in his relationship with God. In Johnny Hunt's book, Demolishing Strongholds, he talks about this one, how he had one Sunday school teacher who came up to him, a well-known, well-grounded Sunday school teacher. He says, Pastor Johnny, why in the world would would David say against you and you only have I sinned? He sinned against a lot of different people. He sinned against Uriah and his family and Bathsheba and her family. How can he say against you and you only have I sinned? I guess I don't understand it. And I think what Johnny Hunt wisely told him makes perfect sense from God's Word. We do have an honest perspective of when we sin, it doesn't just affect us, right? If a husband has an affair against his wife, it affects your kids, it affects your wife, it affects a lot of different things. When a man steals from his company and gets fired, it doesn't just affect his family, it affects the company that he worked for. Our sin does affect everyone else. But foundationally, Who is that sin against? You see, Uriah never said, Thou shalt not kill. Bathsheba never said, Thou shalt never look upon a nude woman to have lust after her. You know who made those commands? God did. God made those commands. 
And because God made those commands and God made those laws, those sins are against God. So even though we may lie to that person, we may steal from that person, we may cheat against that person, ultimately and foundationally, all of our sin against mankind is first and foremost against God. And by the way, it doesn't matter whether that's physically, outwardly against somebody around us, or whether it's mentally in our mind and what we're thinking and perceiving. The bottom line is all sin is against God. And that's why Joseph even went back and said, how can I do this great wickedness and a sin against my God? I realize it doesn't just affect everyone around me. It first and foremost affects my relation with God because He's the one that laid the parameters of how I'm supposed to live a life to bring Him glory. Right? The reality is, there are many of us who have had a wrong perspective of sin. And because our perspective of sin is not that great, oh, it's not that big a deal. It's not, that, it's not hurting anyone else. No one else may know about it. Bottom line is, it affects everyone around us. Because if our spirit is not right before God, it cannot be right before man. And the reality is, God wants us to walk in fellowship with Him first and foremost. And when our vertical relationship is right, only then can our horizontal relationships be right. And the reality is we have to have a right perspective of both confession and repentance. And it's not just enough. It's not just enough just to say, well, I agree. Because just agreeing doesn't change. There must be turning. There must be a grieving. I have grieved the heart of God in doing this. The reality is, we need to have a right perspective of our sinfulness. And if we don't, wow, there's all kinds of consequences to our sinfulness that affect our walk with God. I don't know about you. This became very real to me. I explained this to the guys, I think, several weeks ago. There was a period in my life that I kind of took a, and, and let me just say this. All of our life should be walking by faith and not by sight, right? We know that, right? All of our life should be that way. And we should live our life in such a way that it brings glory to God. So we should be living by faith every day. That means for our daily sustenance, our protection, provision, all these things, grace, mercy, all these things. But there was a time period in my life where I walked away from a paid job to step into an area of ministry where I did not know what the outcome was going to be. I had no idea what the financial picture was going to look like. And uh, I just felt this burden in my heart to, to travel and to do Bible conferences and, and, and things in various churches across America. So for almost three years, we just, you know, we, we packed our family up in a 40-foot fifth wheel and we traveled from church to church and did all kinds of meetings all across the country. All of a sudden, my prayer life increased immensely. Because I didn't want anything, and I mean anything, to interrupt or to halt God from blessing in my life. All of a sudden, I went from having a paycheck every week at a church to, well, if the offering's good, great. If it's not, great. Whatever God wants me to have, that's what it is. So for several years, it was whatever the church gave from church to church to church. And all of a sudden, I realized that Wow, Psalm 66, 18 becomes very real. If I hold sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. 
Lord, I really need X amount of dollars to make it from point A to point B. And he's like, wait a minute. You're asking me to bless you when you have sin in your life you're not dealing with? No, sorry, I can't do that. That's God's work. That's the side of God we don't want to think about. That's the side of God's justice that we say, well, that can't be fair. That can't be right. But it's God's word. Lord, will you keep me safe going from Minnesota to Pennsylvania? Lord, I pray that there wouldn't be any breakdowns. I pray that our tires would hold up. I pray that everything would go good. Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth the sin shall not prosper. Oh, I need to deal with this. My wrong attitude. My yelling. My lack of faith. Whatever it is. And all of a sudden God says, wait a minute. There are blessings to walking in holiness and righteousness. And there are consequences to not dealing with sin. But so often we're willing to accept the consequences because we have so much. But really their purpose ought to be is that I want to please God. I want to live a holy and righteous life because I love him so much, he loves me so much. It's a relationship, right? So the question is, are there things in your life that God has reminded you of that you need to repent and confess? But here's the beauty of it, and this I close. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is that a conditional promise? It's 100% conditional. Your responsibility is to confess it. Well, God already knows what I did anyway, right? Yeah, and Leviticus reminds us, says, he was guilty of a thing, needs to confess that thing. So if there's an area of sinfulness in your life, an area of sin that you've not dealt with, confess it. That's your responsibility. But God's promise to that confession is that I will forgive you. Isn't that beautiful? Is that not beautiful? That God is willing to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And as Isaiah says, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be what? White as wool. He loves us that much that he paid the price for our sin that we could have forgiveness through his shed blood. So I challenge you this morning, if there's an area of sin in your life that you've not dealt with, don't put it off. Say, well, it's insignificant. Don't put it off. You say, well, no one else knows about it. Don't put it off. No, it doesn't affect anyone. Don't put it off. Those are all irrelevant excuses, justifications, and rationalizations. Sin separates us in our fellowship from God. And the only thing you need to do is to confess it and repent it. Agree with God that this is wrong. And to immediately deal with it. And to turn from sinfulness and disobedience to righteousness and obedience. And to realize it grieves the heart of God and it ought to grieve my heart. And then come back into a right standing with God. I challenge you, whatever it is, Confess it, repent of it, and God will forgive and cleanse. Lord, we do thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word and how it rings true in our hearts and our lives still today as it did thousands of years ago. And I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts as only you can through your Holy Spirit. And I ask, dear Father, Lord, that, Lord, whatever circumstances may be in someone's heart today, Lord, you know what they are. I don't. It's not my business. It's yours. But I ask, dear Father, Lord, that if there be an area of sinfulness today, Lord, that you would reveal that, not just for sake of acknowledging it, Lord, so we can make it right. Lord, I pray for everyone here this morning, Lord, that they might know the blessings and the joy of walking in fellowship, Lord, 
of having their sins forgiven. And I ask, God, that you'd work in their hearts to draw them to yourself this morning, Lord. Reveal them to them, Lord, so that they can have a, a renewed spirit within them, Lord, as, as, as David said in Psalm 51. But, Lord, you also remind us they need a broken and contrite spirit. <coughs> so, God, work in our hearts this morning. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, as we are going to close in final prayer in just a moment, but as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, just a simple question. Every week I give you an opportunity to respond to what you've heard. It'd be useless for me to preach and then just to say, oh, well, let's walk out. So every week we have an opportunity to respond. How would God have you to respond to what you've heard from his word today? Is there an area of sin that you've not repented and confessed? Is there an area of sinfulness that you said, hey, no big deal? It's a big deal. Is there an area of sinfulness that God says, hey, Deal with this today. You say, Pastor Ken, there's some sin in my life that I have not dealt with. God knows what it is, and this morning I've been challenged, I've been convicted of it. Pray for me that I would take care of it today. Yes, in the back, in the side. Yes. Yes, all over. Many across the auditorium. Many. You know what that tells us? We're all in the same boat. There are no superhuman Christians, super perfect people that don't do wrong. We're all the same boat. We struggle, but the problem, the difference is how we deal with it. If there's a sin that you're dealing with that God has revealed to you, that God has convicted you of this morning, simply say, God, please forgive me. I repent of it this morning. Right now. Just take a moment and say, God, forgive me. Through your Holy Spirit, give me power to overcome. Give me power to, to resist these areas of temptation, if that's what it is. Whatever it may be. If there's some lying, cheating, stealing, attitudes, whatever it may be, God, take it from me. I repent of it. I confess it regarding its sin. Agree with God. Turn from it and be grieved as it, you know, grieves the Spirit of God. Just take a moment and repent of it. You and God know what that is. But I also believe that God would have you to deal with it, not just acknowledge it. Let's all stand to our feet as we Close. Lord, you know our hearts. Many across the congregation lifted their hands and said, there's an area of sin I've got to deal with. Many nodded their heads and said, there's an area of sin I have to deal with. So, Lord God, I just pray that even though the service may end, Lord, that the invitation will never end. Lord, that your Holy Spirit will continuously remind us that when there's an area of sinfulness, Lord, that we might be willing to deal with it. That we might truly confess it before you and repent of it so that we can come into a clean holy, right, standing before you, God. Realize that your, that your sin, Lord, or your, Lord, your blood on the cross paid the price for our sin. So Lord, be with each one who raised their hand, their heart towards you this morning, God, that you'd allow them to see victory this week, Lord, as they deal with areas of sin in their life. And that we might know the blessing of walking in fellowship with you, dear Father. Be with each one of us, Lord. Give us victory this week. May your Holy Spirit gloriously work through us, Lord, as only he can. And with your help, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.